Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We're continuing our sermon series entitled Saints Under Construction. And last week, when at the very beginning, I, I said hi out there to uh, people around the world who are watching us live online that we know of somebody who's doing that. I think it's in Dubai, someplace like that. But we, we weren't streaming last time because there were technical difficulties. So <laughs> we want to say hi. Can you guys say hi to the person in Dubai? Hi in Dubai. Hi. And uh, we're thrilled to have you with us, whoever else might be watching, and all of you here certainly are here as well. Uh, I, I want to do this before I forget. Uh, uh, I want to acknowledge the babies that are present with us today. I'm not talking about your teenagers, okay? Uh, we have uh, the Javons and baby Lydia. Is she sleeping? Is she awake? Can you? Oh, she's sleeping. All right. So, but get by and, and see uh, Lydia at some point. Are Jeff and Jenna in here? Well, we've seen Judah, but the parents, they're coming second service. But, but, but have we ever acknowledged Judah's existence? Oh, okay. Well, we're glad to have that. Are there any other babies that are here? All right, I think the Pearmans are coming second service, so if you want to hang around and see the Pearman baby, Gwendolyn, uh, they're planning to be here then. So, uh, so saints under construction. Uh, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, we, we started a couple weeks ago and said that the Bible is quite clear that God calls us saints. That, that we... When we come to Christ, when we receive Christ as Savior, He makes a fundamental change deep down inside of us in our spirit. And where we are no longer sinful there. Before we come to Christ, we are. We're very self-centered, want our own things, protect ourselves, fear, well, all those kind of things. But when we get saved in our spirit, we are born again. And we, we become new creations there. And at that point, God calls us saints, holy ones of God. And, but the reality is, is in our lives, we aren't living that way, are we? We aren't thinking like saints yet. We aren't acting like saints yet. And so we're under this construction process. God has already established who we are deep down inside, and then he is at work in our lives. Now, sometimes when we look at where we're at and where we think we ought to be, sometimes you might think there's not much hope. But the reality is, what the Bible said there in, in 1 Corinthians 1 is that God is faithful. So he has made you a new creation. He's called you a saint and he is faithful. He's going to work in your life and more and more your life can begin to conform to what it's supposed to be. You'll change the way you think, the things that you do, how you respond to things and God will continue to change you until one day when you go to be with him, the, the work's gonna be done. God is faithful. He's gonna get you from here to there. He's not letting go of you. Now, last week we saw, very crucial, that in, in understanding how this all works, that, that Paul says we've got to be careful because man has his ways of thinking about things and, and what comes natural to us, and what comes natural to us doesn't accomplish God's purposes and works. So he said God's wisdom is what we need, and God's wisdom starts with Jesus Christ and him crucified. The whole gospel message, remembering why he came he came because we were sinners in need of a Savior. And everything that we have and build our lives upon goes back to that message. Not just Jesus, the, the nice guy, 
Not just Christ, oh, I got a savior, but Jesus Christ crucified. He had to die for us. And in dying, he enabled us to be set free from the controlling power of sin. Very, very good news. And that brings us to uh, our sermon today. When I was in college, probably about the middle, I was going to the University of Missouri in Kansas City, and my father, who had been a jet fighter pilot, a transport pilot in the Marine Corps, and who had flown airplanes for uh, TWA for years, he made an offer to me and my brother, uh, but to me I remember in particular, he said, I will pay for you to get the uh, classroom time and the flight instruction time to get your pilot's license. Now that's a deal, isn't it? And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was, I was busy, right? And I wasn't disciplined and I just didn't make myself. I took the class, but then I never took the exam and I never got the training. And do you know how many times I've looked back and gone, oh man. From where I'm at now, why didn't I make the extra effort? I regret not having done that. I regret that as a Christian young man, when I, when I came, when I was attending the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and I came to Christ, and I regret that that time in my life, a new chance, new opportunities, that I did not work harder to stay morally pure as a young man. I regret that I didn't do that. When, when we got our house, uh, and it, it was a modular home, they put it together, and there was a crew that came and put it all together. And when um, there was a young man leading this crew, and so I had conversation with him, and I tried to witness to him some. And I remember a day when I was there, and I was kind of talking with him a little bit, and the conversation wasn't going anywhere, and so I just kind of said, well, I'll talk to him another time. I'll get back to him. I'll figure out. I'll find him somewhere and connect with him. And three weeks later, he was dead in a car accident. I regret that day not pursuing the conversation to see if it would have gone further. Regrets. Do you have any regrets? We all have regrets. Uh, some of us have really huge regrets, and maybe some of us have lots of little regrets, and um, sometimes we're reminded of our regrets by something that is now in our life, day in and day out, because of choices that we made, and we regret those choices. Sometimes regrets we don't think that much about until we actually sit down and ponder our lives and look at our lives and think, you know, what's going on? Regrets are painful. They're painful in your soul when you stop and remember and you think, oh man, either I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. And if we, the crazy thing is, is we know that and yet still it's easy in life that we keep doing what? Adding to the list. We, we make choices to do things or we don't make choices to do things that we come to regret and the list goes on and on and on. And so, is there anything that we can do, any way we can change maybe how we think that can lessen the number of regrets that we have and maybe keep them from becoming permanent regrets? Well, there is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about some things that... Uh, 
when we understand what he's saying, that then it's, okay, we can respond to this in a way that can change. That we have less regrets now, and more importantly, we have less regrets when life is over. But before we go to that passage, we need to go somewhere else, because what I want to talk to you about today is uh, there's often confusion uh, amongst Christians about different kinds of judgments in the Bible and what that's about. Uh, so let's talk about what is coming up in the future. What's the We start right now here today. Okay, so here we are, right now. The next event in the Bible that we see that's going to happen at some point could happen before this day is over, could happen before the sermon's over. Might have happened for a thousand years. We don't know, although I think a thousand years, probably not likely. But nonetheless, uh, the rapture of the church, and this is where God is going to take everybody who has received Christ as Savior, everybody who has placed their faith in Christ as Savior, and he's going to take them out of the world, okay? And, and we're going to go to heaven to be with him. And on earth at that time, there's the great tribulation you may have heard of, seven years of great tribulation. That's when the Antichrist will arise and, and try to do his thing and the judgments of God on the earth. But also during that time is the judgment seat of Christ. There's those of us who have received Christ as Savior, and I hope it's all of us here today. If not, you can remedy that today before you leave. But we will, we will go to heaven, and then the judgment seat of Christ will take place. Now, at the end of that, after that happens, the great tribulation on the earth, at the end of the seven years, then Jesus is actually literally physically coming back to earth. That's what we would call the second coming of Christ. And it's then that he sets up a literal kingdom on earth. He is going to rule and rule the way things ought to be ruled. Okay, he's going to, uh, things are going to be different then. So he's going to be a thousand year reign on earth. And then at the end of that time, uh, without going to all the details, but there will be the final judgment. The final judgment. And, and then uh, eventually he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. New heavens, new earth, totally untainted by sin in any way. So that's what's coming. But the final judgment is where I want to start with you here today. So let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. It's page 1424, I think. Page 1424 in the Bible that's there underneath the seats. If you don't have your own Bible, we encourage you to follow along with us in that. But I want you to know this. It probably says as a heading in your Bible, the great white throne judgment, the final judgment. And what I want you to understand about this judgment, now listen carefully. There are no Christians standing before God being judged in this judgment. The final judgment is only for those who have not received Christ as Savior. Those in the Old Testament who looked forward to Christ and, and trusted God, and those after Christ came who received Christ as Savior, none of those people will be in this judgment. This is only for the people who have never received Christ as Savior. So let's read, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So this is a fearful judgment. Uh, you'd like to get out of this judgment. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to stand before a judge. Uh, I mean, I know that some of you have. Some of you, I've been there with you when you had to stand before a judge. It's a scary thing to stand before a judge when he's getting ready to pass judgment on you. And you would just as soon be anywhere else but there. 
Well, that's the way it is here, magnified a million times. You know, they'd like to be able to flee and get away, but there is no place to go. And I saw the dead, small and great. That means those that everybody knew about and famous in the world and those that nobody ever heard and knew about. I saw them all standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Let's just stop right there. The book of, the, of life is the, whether this is a literal book or just what God knows, doesn't really matter. We get the idea. The book of life is the, the book that contains the names of everybody who has received Christ as Savior. Everyone who has come and trusted Christ and has received eternal life, your name gets written in the book of life, okay? But then there's another book there. Let's read on. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So the people, these people who've never received Christ are standing there before God being judged on their lives, now, there's a problem with that, as we'll see. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, Hades being the place of the dead, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. In other words, wherever somebody is, they're making this judgment. And what are they going to be judged according to? What's it say? According to their works. Their works is how they have lived their life. And, and God's standard... What, God's standard for how we are to live our lives is perfect. Jesus said, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. How many times do you have to sin to mess up perfect? One time. So we've all messed it up, haven't we? None of us are perfect. We've all failed. And what this judgment will do, it's, if you can imagine, like I said, if, if, whether these books are just symbolic or real, we don't know. But you can imagine. So here's the book, and you're reading along, and they're, they're reading about your life. And oh, here's a sin, and here's a time when you disobey God. Here's a time when you were selfish. Here's a time when you were immoral. Here's a time this. And, you know, and some, wow, that was a really bad week. Bad month, and it's gonna, God's going to go through this, and it will be so clear to the person being judged that I deserve this judgment. I deserve this condemnation. And it's, it's not a pleasant thing to think about, and it's, it's hard to sometimes to fathom, but that is what is going to happen. Verse 14 Then death and Hades, all those people who stood in this judgment, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life. Anyone who had never received Christ, and that's what they're going to show, was cast in the lake of fire. And so the picture again is, we go through the books of of all the works in your life, demonstrating time after time after time how you have failed to measure up to God's standard. And then, let's check the book of life. Did you receive Christ? No. Then lost forever. i got to just be honest with you, that's overwhelming to me to think about that. But God says it. His word says it. So oftentimes when people think about judgment, they're thinking about a judgment of heaven and hell. And, you know, judging my life. Well, anybody who stands in life being judged about heaven or hell on the basis of how they live will end up in hell. The only way not to is to receive Christ as Savior. Because, see, sin has to be paid for. God is a holy God. He does not tolerate sin. God is a just God. He must penalize sin. 
And here's the good news. He did penalize sin when Jesus died. Jesus died paying that penalty for sin. Now, it isn't applied to us until we receive Christ as Savior. But it's there waiting for us to do it. And so we have an option. We either receive Christ as Savior and accept Jesus' payment for the penalty of our sins, or we pay for the penalty of our sins forever in hell. That's the choice. Now, that kind of seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? So that is the final judgment or the great white throne judgment. Now, what I want to take you to is a different judgment in the Bible. This is a judgment for Christians. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, we will not be at this judgment. I mean, I think we'll observe it based on some things the Bible says after that. But we will not be judged there. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What kind of judgment will the Christians be in? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start in verse number 6. Paul says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Okay, so he's talking about this reality that this deep down part of us, the spiritual part of us, our souls and all that, when this body stops working, it's like if you're out camping. How have you gone camping in a tent? Wow, not as many as I would have thought. But the idea is when you're done camping, what do you do? You take the tent and you fold it up and you put the tent away. But you go on, don't you? Well, that's the way God here in the first part of chapter 5 describes us. He says our body is like a tent that we are living in. And there comes a point in time when this body stops working and the body dies and the tent gets folded up and put away. But you and I then go to be with the Lord. Is that good news? We go to be with the Lord. That's what he's saying here. In other words, while we are here in this body, we're absent from the Lord. But when this body dies, then we go to be present with the Lord, which is a good thing. Christians... I'm kind of, I don't want to get myself sidetracked too much today, but Christians should not be scared of dying. Now, I'm not too thrilled about the process. You know what I mean? I, I'm kind of, I don't like that idea. I don't like how I'm going to get there. But when this life actually ends, then I'm free and with the Lord. And all the burdens of this life and, and all the heaviness of sin, which we aren't even always aware of, all gone with him. Much better. But in the meantime, until that happens, we're here and God wants us to do something. He wants us to live for him. And he wants us to glorify him and make a difference with our lives. And Okay, so get back on, on track here. So he says, verse 9, this is what I want you to see. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether we are uh, present in the body or we're absent from the body, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. We want to please God. And then he says this, for we must, talking about we Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body, done in this life, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So there is a judgment for Christians. Christians. 
But it's not a judgment about heaven or hell. That's already settled. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, every sin is forgiven. He gives you eternal life, comes to live inside of you and goes to work. We we talked earlier about making this changes in your life. And so you are forever his. So heaven is settled. Well, I'm glad of that, aren't you? Heaven is settled, not because of me, but because of him. So heaven is settled. So this judgment is about something else. And the, the, the Greek word that's used here is the, the bima, the judgment seat of Christ, the bima seat of Christ. If you watch the, the um, movie that we've showed about this in there, they use the Greek pronunciation called the bema seat, same idea. And what this was, this was here in Corinth, there was a, an elevated place. In fact, Matt has seen this place, he's been there. Uh, Perusa says, you guys have seen this place as well, right? Who, who in here has seen the, the bema seat in Corinth? Anybody else besides those guys? All right. But it's an elevated place uh, where what would happen when they have the games, the athletic games and competitions, the winners would be brought there and receive their rewards. So this is a judgment seat, but it's a judgment seat like judges in an athletic event giving rewards. And so the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians, those who receive Christ, and our lives then are going to be evaluated and what was good and right, and we're going to see how that works in a minute, we will receive reward for. And, but the whole life will be evaluated and we'll see things that weren't what they ought to be as well as w- what was, what it should be. So let's go now to our passage we want to focus in on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Continue to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. This passage helps us to understand how that judgment works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's page 1300 and, what is it, 12? Yeah, page 1312. And let's start in verse number 9. Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. And he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. And so God uses symbols in the Bible about us as Christians to help us understand some things about our lives. And he had been talking about sowing and, and uh, reaping harvest and all that. And so he says, so you're God's field. And so there's that. Then he changes the picture. He says, you're God's building. Okay, God is building something in us. Verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But get this, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay. So, the picture here is that there has to be a foundation for this building. And for the foundation that that we're talking about here has to be Jesus. Anybody who does not have their foundation as Jesus is going to be in the other judgment. We lay the foundation of Jesus that day when we receive Christ as Savior. When we open up our hearts and minds and say, yes, I've sinned. I know I've sinned. My sins have separated from me. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And I, by faith, I've received Jesus as my Savior. And I receive his payment for the penalty for my sins. I receive, we receive Jesus. The foundation is now laid. Okay? From that place on, God has changed us and our lives are now built on Jesus Christ. 
Then he says this, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, he lists six different kinds of building materials. Um, And even though there's six different kinds, we can really divide these into two groups. And these two groups are determined by how do these things respond to fire. Okay, so let's look at the list again and think. Gold. How does gold respond to fire? Comes out the other side, but it comes out the other side still gold, doesn't it? Okay. Now, how about silver? Same thing. How about precious stones? Comes out there. They don't burn. I mean, yes, we understand. You get things hot as the sun, you can burn anything. But we're talking about the kind of fire we would think about having. Okay. They don't burn. How about wood? It burns up, turns to ashes. How about hay? Burns up, turns to ashes. How about straw? Burns up even faster, turns to ashes, okay? So we have these two different categories of building materials, building our lives. Let's read on. Verse 13, each one's work will become clear. For the day, the judgment day of Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And so here's the picture, is if you can imagine that God is going to take, in the, the, excuse me, in the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, they had a list, right? That they, they can go through the books and see it. Well, somehow with our lives and our judgment, the picture is that God's gonna look at all the building materials. The building materials are those things, what choices did I make in life? That's a building material. What did I actually do in life? That's building material. How did I do what I did? That's building material. What were my motives? Why did I do what I did? That's building materials. We go back and say, what did I choose not to do? How did I choose not to do it? What wrong motive? All those things, okay? So from whether good or bad, every, all, those, uh, all of those things in our lives then are pictured here as building materials, and they're either gold, silver, and precious stone, or wood, hay, and straw. And so God takes it, and so he takes that time in my life, and he says, let's look at this, the Lord Jesus, and he says, let's put this in the fire, and we put it in the fire. And we see what that was about. We reveal whether this was something that I did for the Lord for the right reasons, done it his way, and with the right motives in mind. And it comes out as gold, silver, precious stones. We find out that's what it is. Or those things in my life where really I just kind of did my own thing. It, obviously sin, any overt sin is wood, hay, straw, right? Burn up and go away. But there's lots of things that aren't in and of themselves sin that might be wood, hay, and straw. They weren't God's thing, they were my thing. They weren't his way, it was my way. They weren't for the reasons he said, they were for my own reasons. And they burn up and they're gone, all that's left is ashes. Okay, so let's read on here. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So all of those things in my life where I did the right thing and, and I, I tried to do them the right way and, and I did them for the right reasons, the right motives, that I'm gonna receive a reward for those. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, 
but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, if you went to this judgment seat of Christ and the way you had lived your life as a Christian, if it was all your own thing, you didn't do God's thing, and you weren't doing his way, his reason, and it all burns up, you're still saved. That's what he's saying here. But the first half of that verse, he says, you will do what? You will suffer loss. Suffer loss. Because what you're going to understand at that point is that, wow, that was a lost opportunity. I could never get back. That was wasted. That time, those resources, that energy, it was wasted. Lost opportunities that lead to deep regrets. This idea of suffering loss, I think, is that, that awareness that I wasted that. Now, what's going to make that matter so, so much? I mean, right now you think, well, what's the big deal? Okay, I made it to heaven anyway, right? Well, what's going to make it a huge deal is you're going to be looking at your life and these things in your life with the Lord Jesus Christ standing there next to you, looking at it with you and pointing things out to you and evaluating your life. And he's not just the guy next door. He is the one who loved you so much that he went to the cross for you and bore your guilt and your penalty that she did not deserve. And he did that for you. And he came in and began working your life and, and was there for you and was always there for you and always ready. And it's with him that you're looking at this. So what do you want to see coming out of the fire when your life gets put in? Oh, you want to see that gold, silver, and precious stones, don't you? The things I did could, I, I did something good because I loved you, Lord, and I, I wanted to please you here, and I did that, but, oh man, that, you know, and we, we will suffer loss. We will experience that deep, deep regret. And I think you might be saying, wait a minute, Walt, I thought, the, I thought I was only happy in heaven. Well, I think it is happy in heaven. But the Bible says right here at the judgment seat of Christ, if, if, if our works are burned up and all we're left with is ashes, that we will do what? What's say? We will suffer loss. So somehow at this judgment, it's not going to be pleasant. You know, and at that point, all that is going to matter to us is we're hoping that somehow what we've done is going to please the Lord. I mean, it's easy for it now, it seems like somehow not to matter so much to us because we aren't thinking about this. But if we think about it, that is going to matter to us more than anything has ever mattered to us. And we will regret at that moment all the times that we just blew it off and did our own thing, whether not sin or sin or whatever it is. So how can we avoid that? How can we avoid those regrets in the process, maybe we'll have less regrets now. Well, the first thing you have to understand is this, that every choice in life, every choice in life is a choice either to invest in eternity or to waste something 
for all eternity. I mean, we think about it now. Things come into our lives. We have opportunities maybe, and we don't take them. We waste those opportunities. But, you know, it's only for right now, and maybe it you know, affects us for a little while. We don't think too much about it. But we have to start thinking is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every choice that I'm making in life isn't just for the next week. or the ne- Every choice I am making today is a choice that has eternal ramifications, has eternal consequences. And so we need to develop an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective where we look at life this way. Go ahead and go to that next slide if you would there, John. So an eternal perspective. Now, how do we get that? How do we deal with this, get this eternal perspective and where we start thinking about this? Well, let me say this, that the Bible's quite clear. Are our works going to be tested? How we've lived our life is going to be tested. It's going to be evaluated. It's going to be shown for what it is. Well, here's the deal. You can wait until then to test, have your works tested, or you can start testing them now. And I would suggest to you, strongly suggest to you, that you start testing your works now. Start now. Why wait till then? You can start looking at your life now and looking at what you've done, but more importantly, maybe looking at what lies before you. What are the decisions I need to make today? What are the things I need to do today? What needs to be the motives of my heart to get this right today? And, and start evaluating it down. How are you going to do this? How are you going to test your works? Well, some things will just be real obvious to you, but what you're going to do is you're going to test your works by the Word. And so when something comes up, you want to say, you know, I've got to make a decision. And I'm not talking about, I mean, I don't think we have to worry about too much, do I wear black socks or blue socks today? I don't think we need to sweat those kinds of decisions too much, okay? But any decision we're looking at, and we think about it, right? There's a, a significance to this decision. We say, what does God say about this? Does he say anything about it? Maybe he doesn't say anything specific about it, and there's just principles I need to apply, but I need to know, what does God say? How, how do, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Does God say how to do it? What does God say my motives ought to be as I do these things? And so we want to look to that. And you do that, you come, you come to church, and you're getting taught the word of God. Get involved in a life group. Spend time in the Word of God. You'll learn these things. But it's not just about that. And you don't have to, again, you can be more proactive in that. You don't have to wait to say, oh, no, i got to make a decision. What does God say about it? You know, if, if, if every day you sit down and just work your way through the Bible and talk with God about it, and, and do you think there'll be anything you won't understand while you read? And you know what you say to God? You go, yeah, I don't have a clue what that means, God. And maybe you can ask somebody, maybe you can look something up and find it, but the idea, don't worry about that. Just spend time working your way through the Bible with God, have a conversation about it. What does this mean? What would this look like in my life? What does this mean I'm supposed to? And, and then when something happens, you know what's gonna start to happen in your life? All of a sudden there's a choice in front of you. And you know, I remember this. I remember that I read what God said about that. I remember I heard a sermon about that. I remember in life group, my friend talking to me about this, okay? And so test your works by the word. Now, the second thing, practical thing that you can do. Actually, let me just, let me step back from that for just a moment. 
Here's what we're talking about in our lives. So I'm looking to make a decision about how I spend my free time. We in America have free time, most of us. Not a lot, sometimes more, but we have free time. And I have to make a decision, how, what am I going to do with this free time? Does God have anything to say about how I use my free time? Yeah, there's not necessarily a lot of specific things that says, here's how you use your free time. But the idea is you're going to say, you know what? When I stand before Christ, the judgment, what I choose to do with this next two hours of my life is going to show up there. And it's going to go in the fire. Huh. I think I want to choose to do something with this next two hours of my life that when it goes in the fire, it's going to come out as gold, silver, and precious stones. And so then I try to make choices that way. Now, so what am I going to do? It might be that I have had a horrendous week. And, and I'm, I'm not a big video game fan, uh, person, but let's just pretend that I was, okay? I had a horrendous week. It's just been so stressful, so hard, and I have two hours just to chill. And I've been reading my Bible, and I've been talking about it, but I just need two hours. You know what? Maybe playing video games is the very best choice I can do for the next two hours, just to chill so I can go to bed that night and get back in there. That's possible, okay? But also maybe that I look and say, Wow, this next two hours, I could do something different than that. I could do something that builds me up or builds somebody else up. And I've already played video games 20 hours this week. Could be watching sports, could be hunting and fishing, could be shopping, could be surfing the internet. You see what I mean? I'm not trying to pick on anything in particular. What I'm trying to show you is that any of those things that aren't sin might be an okay choice and might be even be a wise choice to help you accomplish you know, what you need to and shows up gold, silver, precious stones. But I think if we're honest, we start to realize that we do a lot with our free time that's gonna be nothing but ashes when it's all done. And so we wanna think about our lives that way. Same with our relationships, Right? What am I doing in this relationship? My husband, my wife, my children, my friends, my, my family. What am I doing here? Am I doing stuff and just blown off and not even thinking about it? It's going to come out ashes? Or am I investing? How about my money? What am I doing with my money? How much money do I need to spend on a new car? How much do I really need another pair of shoes? Yeah, actually, I do. But no. But do you understand what I'm saying? We start thinking about that, and do I need a $200 pair of shoes, or would a $100 pair of shoes suffice? Fifteen. <laughs> $15, okay. And because, see, then I, what, what am I, the idea is, what does God want me to do with this money that I have, you know, and what am I supposed to do with it? And, and so we could go on and on the list, right? Our, our job choices, uh, maybe what do we do with respect to our church, our relationship there? I get the idea is that all of these things in our life are going into the fire, and they're going to be shown for what they are. And I'm saying to you, don't wait until then to find out and make decisions. Test it now. And test it by his words. You can make good decisions. The second idea is this. that, And I don't know if we'll read this, but when we're standing that judgment, I can imagine watching something. Here comes something that I spent. Wow, I spent a lot, a significant amount of my time and my energy and my resources on this. And I don't know. And... I, and 
and I put it in the fire and I begin to watch it burn and turn to ash and I would think, was it worth it? Was, was it really worth it? And the answer would be, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. And so what I want to challenge you is, is ask that question now. Think ahead and say, okay, what I'm getting out of this, will it be worth it at the judgment seat of Christ to, to have it all burn up and go away as I stand next to this one who, who has loved me and given himself for me? And been nothing but faithful to me. Well, what I'm getting out of this, is it going to be worth that, watching it turn to ashes with him? Will it be worth it? And ask the question up front. And so you can see, we're talking about permanent regret, aren't we? Regret that impacts something for all eternity. And by the way, if, if we learn to make these kinds of decisions now, we'll have less regrets in this life too, because we'll be living our lives the way God says to live them. And we do reap what we sow. And so if we sow good, we will begin to reap good. So these two things, both of them, you know, we need to be a start uh, judging our works now and asking this question, will it be worth it then? Because remember, you want an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective where you live with this truth that every choice is a choice either to invest for eternity or to waste something for eternity. Now think about this as a church. If we as a church, me and you and you and all of us together, we begin to live this way with that in mind, think what could happen. I mean, we're talking about trying to provide a genuine opportunity for people to come to Christ. How much time, energy, resources do we invest in things that are going to burn up at the judgment seat of Christ where if we would start to make a different choice now, just even a little bigger choice, a little better choice, you know what would happen? We would end up not having ministries that are underfunded and under support, understaffed. We would end up not having missionaries that are not supported or undersupported. We end up, uh, just think, what God could do because we're making a different choices in our lives. We're living with an eternal perspective and that's what I want to leave with you today. Live with an eternal perspective. You will never regret living with an eternal perspective. You never will. Never as in never in eternity. Never ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you speak to us clearly through it. I pray, Father, that you'll stir our hearts and I know that your spirit has spoken to us today, Lord, about the things in our own lives, the choices that we're making. And I pray, Father, that you would shift our thinking, help us to shift our thinking to, to have an eternal perspective and to look at our choices this way. And Lord, those things where we're already making good choices, please just confirm that to us in our hearts and minds. And, and we ask you to, to do a work here in us today and as we go forward from here that we would seek to live this out this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and the next day going forward. That when we stand before your son at the judgment seat of Christ, that there will be less and less to regret because of decisions we made and carried out from this day. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.